Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret... And this is Amy, and today we're talking to Penelope Leach. She's a research psychologist and one of the world's leading experts in child development and upbringing. Penelope Leach has helped millions of parents raise their children for more than 40 years with her thoroughly researched, practical, baby-led advice, her wise, empathic, and sensible perspective, and her comforting voice. She also has two children and six grandchildren of her own. She's the author of many best-selling parenting books. And the book we're going to talk about today is Your Baby and Child, Dr. Leach's classic child care guide, which is out now in a revised and updated edition. Welcome, Penelope. Lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me. So Your Baby and Child, I know my mom had this around the house. It was first published in 1978. So it raised many of us listening had parents who read Your Baby and Child. Yes, we are 70s (laughs) babies ourselves. So this was... Important. If you think, if our listeners think we turned out well, this is part of the reason. (laughs) Well, yes, but from my point of view, 50 years is a heck of a long time for a book. Mm -hmm. And it reached a point where it either had to die or be rewritten. I couldn't leave it out there knowing that it was out of date. I mean, that just didn't feel right. Of course, there have been lots of minor reprints, but the book hadn't changed along with society. So let's start there. What are some of the things in the book that have changed in those 50 years? Oh, wow. When I wrote it, Daddy went to work to earn the money, and Mommy stayed at home and looked after the baby. Not always, of course. I mean, that's a generalization, but there's been a huge change in the fact that now almost all adults go to work and as many women are in the workplace as men and we unfortunately don't have as many men as women in the home place. So there's a whole area of difficulty, what I think your title refers to as hell. (laughs) Yes, Fresh hells, new each day. Everything always new, always new. And you also make the point that there were grandmothers around back then. Like I definitely, my grandmother lived with us and she helped raise us. She lived upstairs. My grandmother lived with us as well. 
Is that right? And so our grandmothers were both, of course, younger because our mothers had us when they were younger, but our mothers stayed home with us and our grandmothers also didn't work outside the home. And so we're also available for childcare. How have you seen that change, how people are raising their babies these days? Huge change and interesting difference between the UK and the USA in that a lot of grandparents in the UK are wanted to do more childcare than they actually want to do. Whereas in the USA, it seems to be the other way around. You know, I hear quite a lot of families, how can I put this politely, who don't want grandmothers too much involved. (laughs) And of course, things have changed in the sense that grandmothers used to retire at 60. And now who can afford to retire in either of our countries? So that's a big change. A lot of parents do, of course, rely on grandparents for childcare. But how many families still live close by? I mean, I know of grandparents who travel two or three hours to help out if one of the children is sick and parents need to go to work. But that's very different from being next door or... Yes, or even in the upstairs bedroom in our case, right? I was very lucky. I lived close by, but not with. And I think probably that's the ideal. Well, even in my mother's generation, there was a multi-generation. They lived in a two-family house, multi-generational family as they were moving from Ireland and coming to the United States, that the family was just naturally extended, that there were always people around. And I think that's really interesting how much that has changed, whereas no one I know, very few people I know, they might have a grandma around, but they don't live in a multi-generational house where there are different levels of family. But another thing that's changed that's part of this is that when I wrote the book, if you were a mother, and it would almost always be a mother at home with young children, and you went out with your stroller to the park or whatever, and there would be lots of others. Now, you may be the only one in your street who's not at work, and the whole business has become much, much lonelier. And I think it is very lonely. And looking after very small children is dreadfully boring a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, I obviously I'm interested in babies and small children. It's what I've done all my adult life. But doesn't mean that I can't remember what it was like some of the time or quite a lot of the time. And boring is part of that. Well, we say often, I think that the human connection is very lost. In some ways, I think I feel more connected to the idea that motherhood is difficult and boring and lonely through the online world than I think my mom did. I don't think that she was able to have as many conversations as I am able to have about how much parenting stinks sometimes. I'm able to process that online and in my communities more easily than my mom was, but I think my actual community is much smaller. So it's been kind of a give and take. Right. One of the things that, I mean, when I started thinking about rewriting this book, because it is a a rewrite, it's a very different book. And people said, does anybody want a book these days? You know, all the parenting advice is online. I've found that in a way, there's too much advice 
coming from too many different directions, and that quite a lot of parents and their relatives and friends find it muddling and bewildering. And if you go to a different source of advice every time you hit a problem, which after all, with a new baby, maybe every Monday, uh, let alone... Maybe every hour, yes. Yeah, exactly. Then you do get great confusion. So the idea is, for some people at least, a book is a solid... You know, if you can find a book that is a voice that resonates with you, that feels right, that you can really hear, then if it's good on breastfeeding, chances are you'll like it on daycare and, you know, discipline and the splat of food on the floor. (laughs) That's great. That's an interesting point. It seems to me that your advice has always been very sort of baby-led but intuitive, right? That when if your baby's crying every day at, at 4 or 5 p.m., there are things you can do about that, but you can follow your baby's lead. And it isn't that you have to consult 18 message boards and read every article. You can read one book and you can let your baby lead you. Do you think that parents these days with this sort of onslaught of advice and social media, do you think that they have a harder time sort of listening to their instincts and tuning out the noise? I think parents do. I mean, I hate these generalizations, but everybody must accept that, of course, what I'm saying isn't true for everybody all the time. But on the whole, I think parents think more about their babies and very young children than they did two generations ago. They talk to each other about them. They talk to their parents and friends about them. And they talk to their children a lot more, I think, even though People will tell you that half the time they've got earbuds in and they're not paying any attention. On the other hand, I think there's a real time conflict for a lot of families. And one of the interesting things is how it's altered the kind of standard routines of baby care. I mean, it used to be that babies and toddlers' bedtime was 6 p.m., lights out at 7 It's linked to that nowadays. You'd never see your children at all till the weekend because they're in daycare till that time. And, you know, very small children are up and around until nine uh, in order to see something of their parents. So there's a kind of funny mixture of perhaps increased concern and maybe increased knowledge. I find parents know a lot more about the development of their children, certainly than I did when I started out. But at the same time, life is very divided between work and home, and home doesn't get an awful lot of time in most households. I want to talk a little bit more about this expansion of knowledge. We're talking to Dr. Penelope Leach, and we will be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro <laughs> aunt at this yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, 
I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof. Crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So before the break, we were talking about expansion of knowledge. And one of the things you cover in the book is the expansion of what we know, actually know about babies, sensory integration. Are there things that you really changed your mind about? Or are there things that this sense and this intuitive approach that wasn't very changed by more specific information about how babies' minds work? I think it's not that my mind has been changed. It is that I've been educated along with everybody else. And I think it's enormously important for people's enjoyment of being parents, as well as for children's enjoyment of being their kids. (laughs) They should have some idea of what's going on. I mean, an obvious example is what people will call discipline, even when they're talking about a one-year-old. Now, We know now from the last decade's work on infant brain development that there is no way you can teach an under one how to behave. His brain or her brain doesn't encompass that kind of thinking. You're too soon, mate. It can't be done. And all you do is create misery. So, If I'm going in a book to say, if your baby keeps crawling to the refrigerator and opening the door and you think you're going to lose your mind, it's no good screaming at him, let alone smacking him, distract him. It's the only thing that works. Mm -hmm. Because another thing that we've learned, if you like, part of this whole package 
is that if you pick such a baby up and take him into the next room or into the garden or whatever, he will have forgotten the refrigerator game <laughs> in 50 seconds. So the whole thing is over. What doesn't help is having expectations of a baby or child that can't be met. Mm. I mean, it can become positively cruel. Yes. Some parents do make quite a, I can only describe it as a mistake when they have a second child of comparing the two. So sometimes the second child is thought to be slower than the first one, and that's kind of a negative. Again, the stuff we've learnt in the last couple of generations tells us a great deal about the developments that are going on and how different children are going to be. So it's no good wishing that your child would get on and crawl. Maybe <laughs> never going to crawl. He may be one of those children who's going to go straight from sitting to standing up and walking. Is that a good thing? It's a real thing. It's true. It happens. And if you understand it, it helps you and the child. Can you tell us a little bit about stress and what has been learned since this book first came out about the effects of stress on little children's development, both before they're born, this surprised me, before they're born in the womb and when they're babies and it's their own stress? Well, the really interesting thing about stress is that we now know that stress in the mother, and I have to say mother because it is the mother because it's all to do with her uterus, stress in the mother can affect the brain development of the fetus from conception onwards. In fact, you know, a stress-free pregnancy is every child's right as well as every mother's right. We ought to do everything we possibly can as partners, as relations, as friends to keep pregnancy stress-free for women because stress is bad for the babies. And people say, well, how can that possibly, you know, how can her stress influence the fetus? And of course, the answer is hormones and hormones passed across the placenta to the developing baby. One of the things that happens with a, if a mother is highly stressed is that the amount of cortisol, which is kind of one of the main stress hormones, that passes the placenta goes up. And a baby who is bathed in cortisol in the womb tends to develop an exaggerated fight-flight reaction and may actually become not just a baby, a child, adolescent, but a whole person who is always one of those who anticipates the worst and overreacts to minor problems. We all know people like that, but we don't <laughs> always realize the basis of it is probably before he or she was ever born. There's also new information in the last you know, 40 years since this book came out about the development of toddlers and how they understand how people think and feel, their sort of emotional education and the way that they grow. Did that change anything in this new edition of this book? Yes, it changes it two ways. Firstly, we're clearer now. That's tremendously important. We're also clear that it links with very early development so that 
a child who has warm, close parenting in the first six months or a year is quicker to reach that understanding of other people's feelings and behavior, quicker to be able to see at two that another two-year-old might feel that way. Mm. If you like, I think probably the secret of getting on well in groups with your siblings, with other kids in daycare, if you can't see that another child feels like you do or doesn't, then you can't be a nice friend. It's no good the adults saying, use your words. <laughs> you know, your words aren't going to work if the understanding isn't there. I want to talk when we get back about the idea of guilt and figuring out mom's role in all of this. We're talking to Dr. Penelope Leach. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So one of our big tasks on this podcast is helping moms figure out their role in all of this. Because we're a podcast, we offer some parenting advice and parenting perspectives. One of the things we do try to put in people's way is to let go a little bit of the guilt and this idea that the mother is responsible for everything about how this child turns out and has a tremendous amount of control over those things. How do you see in babies and toddlers areas where parents, especially mothers, can maybe find a little more joyfulness in their parenting and a little less guilt, hopefully? Yeah. And of course, the big answer to your how is your partner. I mean, it may be 
the father, maybe a biological father, maybe a partner of another gender. But from the point of view, the overburdened mother, having somebody else who you trust with your child, I think is crucial. And that's difficult um, because however hellish we may be saying parenting is, <laughs> mothering in particular is, we do anything and do do anything to keep our small children safe and doing what we think they ought to do. And that means that we're really fussy about anybody else. And I think one of the mistakes that some women make is by not allowing fathers, let's call them fathers just because it's easier, but we all know it needn't be the actual father, but not letting fathers in at the very beginning. At the birth, yes, but in the months after. And if a woman is quick to jump in and tell her partner to do it differently or not to do it like that or to turn the pram around because the sun is in the baby's eyes, it's not going to get the kind of mutual parenting which actually helps with this guilt stuff. I think one of the things that has changed that's relevant to this is age. You know, when I first wrote the book, the average first child was born on average in a woman's early 20s. Now, it'll be her mid-30s, probably. A lot of life has gone on. She may have, I don't know, run a company or, you know, taught 30 kids in a classroom for years before she has this baby. And she very reasonably expects to be able to do it quite easily. Yes. And she can't because <laughs> it isn't the same. Nothing is the same. And if there's one message that I've tried to get through in the sort of opening, new opening chapter to this book, it is that nothing will ever be the same. And that, I think, is the thing many parents, mothers and fathers, don't realize. In fact, in their efficiency, their relative efficiency and older age, they feel, you know, give us six weeks and we'll be back to normal. There isn't a normal. There's only a new normal, which is them as parents. And if you're all the time expecting things to go back, you won't have your eye on where they're going forward. And we're off to a bit of joy here, aren't we? Mm, trying you to, know, yes. Most babies are wanted, thank heavens. And although I've talked to a lot of parents who say they wish they'd never had children, really a surprisingly large percentage, I've never met one who wished they hadn't had their actual children. So, you know. Penelope, the book, so much of your advice is actually given from the point of view of the baby or the young child. And I think it's lovely, but I'm wondering why did you choose to write the book that way? Oh, why did I write it that way? I wrote it that way because the reason I ever wrote it was that I felt that was the point of view that was missing. I mean, if you go back to parenting advice, or even of Dr. Spock, it was not from the baby's point of view. It was from the point of view of, let's get her settled into a routine so you can get some sleep. 
and so forth. So it was always my intention to get as close as one can, which is not very close, to getting inside the baby's head and showing parents what was actually going on in there. And I think to some extent with colleagues, it's kind of worked. People are on the whole, I think, gentler with very small children than they were. Your country hasn't yet banned physical punishment, but I think it's less used than it was and perhaps will go altogether as it has in 50 countries around the world. So, you know, there's a saying which my family uses, you can't be happier than your least happy child. And I think that's very true. And we have to acknowledge that happy children make happy parents rather than the other way around. Penelope, let's finish by talking about what do you see as not having changed in the, over the last couple of generations. We have both parents working outside the home. They're not seeing their baby till 830 at night. They, they have their child in childcare instead of with their mom next door all day. What hasn't changed? I think the main thing that hasn't changed is what we were just talking about, which, dare I use the word, is something called love. You know, most parents, most, not all, sadly, most parents are besotted with a new baby and all set to be besotted with that child as it becomes an older baby. That besotment sometimes changes a bit in toddlerhood because the beauty of toddlers is that they learn to say no and neither it and go away. <laughs> and some parents don't like that. I like it very much. I think it's funny in my own children or other people's, but a lot of parents don't. But I think what hasn't changed is really why we have babies at all. We actually want that close human connection. And the fact that it's difficult, more difficult than we expected, is something that this book is trying to help with. Because you want to get back to the core experience, which is that loving and, you know, wanted experience. But there are a tremendous amount of things that kind of get in the way of that when you feel, and you pointed this out earlier, my mom had children late. She had a career and she said, you know, I used to have a room full of people who just did what I said on command. And now I have three little maniacs who literally I can't get them to stop, get off the kitchen table, whatever it is. And I think that the overall unchanged thing about the book is that what you want to do is get past the problems so that you can get back to some idea of love and connection with kids. Yes, that's exactly I mean, thank you. That's how I would have it if I <laughs> But yes, and why it's difficult is that you start talking about love between parents and children and it all gets a bit soppy. And, but Bowlby and indeed Freud both described that relationship as the strongest love relationship in the world. And it is. And I think it helps if people know that. It really doesn't matter if you're irritated because, oh, I don't know, your dinner party was interrupted again by this three-year-old who won't stay in his room. It matters at the time, but it doesn't matter in the long run 
because nobody's going to remember that evening, you know, when he's a big boy and being a big boy is where it's going or a big girl and what kind of person is it going to be. And that's one of the most exciting things in the world. We've been talking to Dr. Penelope Leach. Her book, Your Baby and Child, is just out in a completely redone new format. Dr. Leach, tell us where our listeners can find you on the Internet. Via the book, actually. (laughs) I don't have a website. There's a lot. If you Google Penelope Leach, you find lots of stuff about the books. I don't work on social media, so I'm very grateful to be made welcome on yours. And thank you for having me. Fantastic. And we will put links up to where to find the book. And this is a book that, you know, helped shape our lives and will continue helping shape the lives of children going forward. And we're just really honored to get to talk to you today. So thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.